If you follow the Christian calendar, you will know that we are now in the season of Epiphany, having just come through Christmas tide, and before that was the beginning of the Christian calendar, the season of Advent, which started early December and goes for four weeks up until Christmas. Now, you would think that the playing of Christmas music and the displaying of Christmas lights would roughly follow the time frame of Advent. But this is not always so. There is a local radio station here in Lexington that in years past has always played 24 hours a day Christmas music from Thanksgiving to Christmas. This year I noticed that this station played 24 hours a day Christmas music starting the day after Halloween. I suppose the thought was, one month of Christmas music is great, two months has got to be even better. (laughs) For my money, though, there's only so many times you can hear the song, it's beginning to sound a lot like Christmas, or the weather outside is frightful, until those songs start to lose their appeal. There's a diminishing return to that. So I suppose there is a debate about when to start the Christmas music. There are debates in households, I know from experience, about when to put the Christmas lights up. There are debates in households, I know from experience, about when to take them down. In our household, we have Christmas lights in every window. Usually is our display. There's lots of three-foot Christmas trees you can buy with the white lights woven into the trees, and we put these trees in our windows. And it's our display to the street, and it's also the way we light the windows. My wife and I have a discussion every year. We had the same one this year. It's the 12th day of Christmas, and I remind her, this is the end of Christmas tide, honey to which she replies by usually putting away all the specifically christian or sorry christmas items like stockings and leaving the trees with lights up proclaiming them now to be winter lights <laughs> which light up the household in the dark days of winter this year she went one step further and noted that it is now the season of epiphany which is the season of light and these are epiphany trees You're not anti-epiphany, are you? And she had me there, and I wasn't going to, and I'm not anti-epiphany at all. Long story short, there are still winter-slash-epiphany lights in our house, and you can see them if you drive by our neighborhoods. But I suppose it's only natural to want to hang on to the Christmas season as long as you can. I hate taking the displays down myself, Those hymns we sing at Christmas are so wonderful. The themes we get to reflect on at Christmas, the themes of peace, Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the theme of joy, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I want to keep those all year round, not just for Christmas. And it's gotten me to thinking these past few weeks about what the core of Christian peace is and what the core of Christian joy is is because I want these things all year round, not just at Christmas time. So, beginning with peace. I think you'll find that the world has two broad strategies to find peace. The first is, you make sure all your desires are achieved. Why do we have stress and anxiety in life? Because the world is not always as we want it to be. So one strategy is just 
to make sure all your desires are achieved. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by keeping the plates spinning. You keep the plates spinning, man. You, you make sure you get the job where you're not going to have the financial concerns at all. You make sure the family's always happy. You make sure of it. Your PTA mom and dad of the year every year, you see the kids' problems at school coming before they even come, and you ward them off at the pass. And you don't have to worry about the health issues because you're up at 4 a.m. every day. You're at the gym. You get your hour of cardio in before coming back to cook the big family breakfast every day. I mean, you have it all. You put your head on the pillow at night. You've got peace because all your desires are achieved. Problem, of course, is that this doesn't work. I love this verse from the Psalms. God knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. I love that. The marketers, advertisers may try to convince you that you can have it all. You can have all your desires met. It doesn't work. So the world sometimes gives us a second strategy. Second strategy this just tamp down your desires. Lower your expectations. Just kind of numb to everything. Take an impersonal view of life. You know, whatever the universe decides, the universe decides. I'm just going to get through each day. Someone a few years ago gave me this mug. I don't know if they had a message in mind. <laughs> I, I smile every time I see it. But life won't let you down if you don't expect anything, if you just close yourself off. You don't have any real quests in life. You just make it through each day, man. Just make it through each day. But that's not the key to Christian peace, is it? It's not a Christian response. Jesus explicitly said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're to hunger. We're to thirst for righteousness. St. Paul reminds us, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to mourn with those who mourn. Christian peace is not achieved either of those two ways. Christian peace is a beginning point. It's not the same as calm. It doesn't mean calm. Jesus many times came and he didn't calm people down. He shook them up. Shook up Zacchaeus. Meets Zacchaeus and announces to him, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house this day. Invites himself to supper and to stay for a while, and challenges Zacchaeus to completely reorient the trajectory of his life, which Zacchaeus does. He came to shake Zacchaeus up. He came to shake up the rich young ruler, did he not? You know the story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What do I need to do? I've kept all the laws since I was a boy. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, to sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, the money, and then come follow me. And that'll shake you up. He shook up the rich young ruler. And we're called to get riled up, are we not? God's people at injustice. When we see people, individuals being oppressed, when we see structural injustice, when we see people on the margins being ignored or being scapegoated, these things should rile us up. Jesus certainly felt things. I think of him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. He didn't close himself off didn't attempt to achieve this trance-like numbing. He was affected by the world around us. We're going to be affected by the world around us as Christians. So how do we have peace in the midst of it? Maybe the beginning point to understanding God's peace is to recognize the opposite 
of Christian peace. The opposite is hostility, opposition, alienation. And this is a state we inevitably find ourselves in, in one way or another. Romans 8, 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. But Jesus, of course, the good news, is the bridge who reconciles us to the Father. At one time, you were far away from God and were his enemies. Some translations, you were alienated from God because of the evil things you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of his son, God has made you his friends in order to bring you holy, pure, and faultless into his presence. When we make Jesus Lord of our lives, we move from a state of being in opposition, in alienation to God, which inevitably we come into with selfishness and envy and malice, those alienate us from God. But Jesus allows us fully, finally to be friends with God in the richest sense of that word, friend. Sharing mutually with one another. The support we have, the way we can completely be ourselves and be supported by God, who inevitably is for you, a friend. And one more piece Full Christian peace is friendship with God and with one another. And again, friendship in the deepest sense of that word. Biblical word, peace, shalom. Shalom means harmony, right relationship with God and with other people in relationships of love and loyalty where we live together as God wanted us to in lives of mutual flourishing. That's shalom. Only Jesus can provide true shalom. He's the only one who allows us fully to be reconciled with the Father and fully with one another, where we move past any resentment, any jealousy, any alienation. We have the power to forgive and be forgiven and achieve shalom in life. That is true Christian peace. I experienced an aspect of Christian peace once when I was a teenager. I didn't know it at the time. This was the week I graduated high school. And I'd like to share with you, it's one of the best movie-going experiences I'd ever had. One of the best movie-going experiences I've ever had. Graduated high school, and a bunch of my buddies and I wanted to do something together. It was kind of one of our last times together. We kind of knew it. We were going our separate ways. We wanted to see a movie. We went to the theater. The only movie that was showing at the time was a movie called Mannequin. I don't know if anybody has seen the movie Mannequin from the 1980s. We saw it that day. Mannequin is a story about a mannequin, a female mannequin in a department store display window. People walk by the busy city street every day, and they look at this mannequin in the department store window. Well, as it happens... This mannequin comes to life every night and spends her nights rearranging the display window of this department store. One of the protagonists of the movie was a young man who got a job as a night watchman at this department store and saw this young lady rearranging the display windows every night and assumed she works for the department store. Well, the two of them struck up a friendship and then later a romance. About two-thirds of the way through the movie... 
the young man discovered that his new girlfriend was, in fact, a mannequin. And this caused some problems for them as a couple. (laughs) See, that was the big plot twist right there. But by the end of the movie, all was resolved, and the two went off to live happily ever after, or so we were led to believe. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that is the most ridiculous excuse for a movie plot I have ever heard. (laughs) And if you're thinking that to yourself, let me just say you're not wrong. It was ridiculous. But I never said it was one of the best movies I'd ever seen. I said it was one of the best movie-going experiences I'd ever had. Because we were at the long end of a relationship that we had had with each other through high school, through junior high, through elementary even, most of us, where there was love and loyalty and we tasted shalom. There's a proverb that speaks to the point I'm trying to make. It's a great proverb. Proverbs 17.1, Better a dry crust of bread in peace than a feast amid strife. Let me sit with that verse for a while. Now, the greatest feast in the world, you know, the Thanksgiving spread, your favorite food, the the whole works. You're in the middle of a family fight where you're feeling an opposition and alienated from the people next to you. It's not an enjoyable experience. It doesn't matter what the food is. By contrast, you get a young married couple. They're poor as dirt, but they're in love. And they're having spaghetti out of a jar for the fifth night in a row because they can't afford anything else. And to them, it's the greatest meal in the world because there's such harmony in their relationship. True Christian peace is harmony, full rightness of relationship with God and with other people. When you have that, it doesn't matter the circumstances. There is available to us a profound peace that passes all understanding. The remarkable statement Jesus made to his disciples, captured in John 14, it's on the screen. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What's remarkable about this passage is that it comes in the extended dialogue Jesus has with his disciples that ends with him going to the Garden of Gethsemane. The guy's on his way to the crucifixion, and he's saying, My peace I leave with you. Jesus has peace because his relationship with the Father is fully right. And if your relationship with the Father and with other people is fully right, you have Christian peace, shalom, whatever the circumstances. And then there's joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. We sing at Christmas. Joy, we know, is not the same as happiness. You've heard this adage probably that happiness depends on happenings. It depends on your circumstances. Things go well for you today, you're happy about it. Things don't go well, you're not happy. My first year in Little League, I got put on the team and we were league champions. I mean, we were unstoppable. I remember after about every game, I was happy. The next year, I got put on one of those teams that goes 1-13. Couldn't beat anybody. After every game, I was not happy. And so it continues in life. But joy is deeper than that. Joy is enduring. 
What's the source of joy, particularly Christian joy? Well, let me get back to the parable of the stewards. Some of you may be thinking, the sermon's about over. I'm glad he's finally going to look at the scripture reading. This is (laughs) typical philosopher. Two stewards are faithful with what they've been entrusted with. They put their talents to use and they bear fruit. And the master's response to them is exactly the same each time. He says to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, on the surface, that's odd wording. Normally, if someone does a really good job, you reward them with some external thing they can enjoy. You give them a bonus in their paycheck, or you give them a gift certificate to eat, or a mug, or something external that they can enjoy. That's not what's done here. The only thing that's given is further opportunity to serve. Well done. Now, you'll be entrusted with more to steward. And then the proclamation, now, enter into the joy of your master. There's a clear link here between Christian joy and faithful stewardship. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus coming and bringing joy. Jesus comes to earth and he begins to establish his kingdom, transforming the world, and each of us get invited to join with Jesus in some unique way, according to our unique gifts, in building his kingdom with him. Each of you are invited to join with Jesus in building his kingdom. And there's certain things Jesus has for you to do that nobody else can do like you can because nobody else has your unique combination of spiritual gifts and natural passions and interests and your personality features and your life experiences. Christian joy is faithfully stewarding what God has given us. And then there's one more piece faithfully stewarding what God has given you with other Christians who are faithfully stewarding what God has uniquely given them so that we're having to depend on one another with Christ leading us all. That is the fullness of Christian joy in this life. The knowledge that we are faithfully stewarding what Jesus has given us. Knowing that Jesus has written the final chapter and it's got a glorious ending to it. Christian joy that endures, that endures. No matter the circumstances, that endures. In seasons of apparently fruitful ministry, in seasons of apparently dry ministry. Christian joy, faithfully stewarding what God has given us. Christian peace as we live into right relationships, fully right with God and with the people around us, peace and joy that endures no matter the situation. It's not just for Christmas. It's for all year round, and it's for eternity. Amen.